of hearing a, a God story from Kevin Fury. Kevin's been a uh, ministry partner here at Lake Forest Davidson for a while, and so you'll get to listen in on a bit of a conversation with him when he shares about um, last summer when he went to Bolivia on a mission trip, and he's actually leading the 2019 summer mission trip with Andy Crane. So thank you, Kevin, for being here. I've um, got a, a few questions we'd love to hear about last summer. Can you briefly tell us where and what this trip was? Yeah, so it was um, 19 of us who went to Sipe Sipe, which is a small town right outside Cochabamba, Bolivia. It's about 8,600 feet up in the mountains. And this trip, I would say, is more relational than construction type. We did some work projects. We did a, um, a bleacher that we helped put together, but uh, we cleaned the whole place. They did a yearly cleaning. We try to take some things off the missionaries that are there, off their plate a little bit while we're there, but mostly we spent time with the kids. There's 40 boys in the orphanage. Uh, we did some sidewalk Sunday schools, which is you go out into the town and the community of kids, you kind of bring them along. They hear the music, you come running, do balloon animals, you do chalk. It's amazing what you can make out of a balloon. Hmm. But, um, and then you, uh, we did a, uh, a thing where we brought some food to some local homes um, of a local church that they were you know, impoverished, didn't have a lot, and just got to sit with them. So it was pretty amazing overall. And then the 19 of us really bonded on that trip as well. Did you go alone, or were you with your family or friends? No, I had the opportunity to take my two girls and my wife as well. Very cool. So, so when you look back at this trip and you think back on summer 2018, what, what stands out? What was significant? What did it mean to you and your family? Uh, I, a couple things. One, number one, um, is I've, I've, got, I've been to India twice, and I've been to Haiti, and all those trips were by myself. This trip was with my family, so I got to see experience things with them and through them. And I think that was a huge, it was just a, a light bulb went off for me, just seeing that and seeing my girls interact with the boys. So to me, that's, you know, that you can't put a price tag on that. And the second thing was uh, our church donated 40 mattresses to the boys when, uh, I think it was a Wednesday night, we told them at dinner that they got new mattresses. And I'd never seen kids like get so excited over mattresses before. And then we saw their old mattresses, so we figured out why. But um, they brought us up, there's, uh, there's 40 boys, there's split into like four different age groups of 10 per long room type thing. They all have a little space that, that's their own. And it was just amazing to see how clean everything was. The beds were perfectly made. They had these, all their small little uh, material possessions around their pillows. And just watching my girls like look around and say, this is all they have. And how happy the boys were to have what they had. Um, and then, you know, we took all the old mattresses off. We put the new mattress back on and they made their beds perfectly. I mean, I went to the Merchant Marine Academy, and we had inspections that these guys would have passed easily. So, I mean, it was unbelievable. How did most of these boys end up there? So, um, I guess from what I understand, you know, in these impoverished neighborhoods, when they can't feed enough of the family members, they let the boys go to the streets because they can fend for themselves, and they keep the girls in the house because they do a lot of the work in, in the house. So, a lot of these boys end up on the streets, and then CIN has found them and brought them in. So some of them still have some relationships with their family, but a lot of them don't. Gotcha. So, so how, looking back at this trip, how are you different because of it? Uh, what did it? How do you see God's character differently um, after the fact? Uh, I think it's tough to go on any of these trips and not be different when you come back. Um, for me personally, I like to go on these trips because it. Um, I think God laughs at me when I'm here because I think I can control everything, and then when I go somewhere else, I can't. And so it's a real nice way of me, you know, stop the plates from spinning, just be quiet, unplug, and go and then allow God to do some things through me. Um, so on the trip, a lot of times you might get a light bulb that goes off, like, oh, wow, you know, you feel God's presence. But then 
a lot of it is this dimmer switch that when you get home, you start to realize a little bit more and more of how to take your hands off the wheel a little bit. So. Uh, that's awesome. So again, I mentioned you're a leader. You went last summer, but you are one of the team leaders this summer uh, with Andy Crane. And so you have, uh, you have the floor now. Is there anything you wish I would have asked that I didn't or anything else you want to share with folks uh, who are listening? I mean, the only thing I would say is that if you're ever thinking about going on a mission trip, just do it. I, mean, I said it the first service. I mean, you're never going to come back from this and say, man, I wish I didn't do that. I mean, you're always going to come back, you know, you're always going to come back with something. And 10 years from now, if you didn't do it, I think you're going to kick yourself. If you have a small family like I do, or, you know, kids who we have a lot here, and this is a huge perspective moment for you and your family. If you have the opportunity to do that, I suggest you do it. Well, let's thank Kevin for sharing with us this morning. I missed my cue, sorry. I'm Michael Flake, one of the, uh, when they stopped, that was my cue. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is always room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. As we look to the center of these circles, we ask ourselves, what is it that's at the center of my life? What is the person or goal, thing, idea that everything in my life is revolving around? Jesus Christ says he wants to be in the center of our lives. And if we ever invite him there, that we'll experience real life, both abundant life on earth and everlasting life after earth. As Gray pointed out, there's a lot going on in the life of the church between discovery classes, kind of getting up and running, mission trip applications going live. We're starting our Welcome 101s next weekend, we would love for you to find some way to jump in uh, with one or all of those opportunities. That would be fabulous. Well, I want to introduce you to an old friend of mine. His name is uh, Senor Sanchez. I met him in 2010 in Mexico. I was on a mission trip in Mexico, and we were building a house for and with Nora and her family, and on the first day, her neighbor came over. He was 75. He was willing to help. His name was Senor Sanchez. Isn't that sweet, I thought. Well, when we got back to the work site the next day, and we're talking like early in the morning, uh, Senor Sanchez was already there ready to go. He had his Bible in his hand. He read a few selected passages. He prayed for Nora. He prayed for us. Uh, I didn't catch all of what he was saying, but you don't need to translate passion. And then he got to work. And as the week began to go on, we sort of became astounded by this man who we started to call the Senor, Senor Sanchez. We were struggling to keep up with a 75-year-old. And that's no offense to any 75-year-olds out there, but, but this dude just ran on a different fuel than most people run on. And, and what really astounded us about this man is that he knew God. Like he knew, a, he didn't, he did know about God, but he didn't just know about God. Like he knew God and it changed the way that he lived and it changed the way he interacted with the world around him. And so we kind of thought we had gone there under the pretext of like helping and serving. And at some point we started to wonder like, can we run on that same fuel as you, senor? How is your life so refreshing and so beautiful? 
And he would say the answer was because of Jesus. Could something like that happen in our lives, in my life? That was really the question that that week posed to me. What would it look like to live a little more like Senor Sanchez? Today, we try to do this every year. Today, we take the day to kind of pause and focus on the part of the Christian faith called the Missio Dei. Missio Dei is Latin. It means mission of God. Missio Dei is our affirmation that God is doing something in the world, that God is on a mission in the world, that you and I are invited to join into that mission. You and I are invited to join in and share God's love with our actions and to share God's love with our words. Now, this is also a nice day to do this because it dovetails with our conclusion to the book of the Bible called Daniel. We've been teaching through the book of the Bible called Daniel. We've spent most of our time in the first half of the book, which are these interesting uh, encounters and, and things that happened to Daniel and his friends. Today, we want to look at the second half of the book, which are the prophetic visions of the future that Daniel had. Oh boy, you're thinking, I came on the prophetic visions of the future Sunday. Yes, you did. Now, when you are reading the Bible and you come across one of these prophetic visions of the future, think of it more like a giant painting, okay? You and I can debate what the itty-bitty details of any great painting mean, but when you just stand back and look at the painting, you kind of have an idea of the big picture, right? Is it a happy painting or a sad painting? Is something good happening or something bad happening? So instead of the sermon today being a debate about what all the details of the prophetic visions mean, we're going to stand back and look at the big picture of what it means. And mostly we're going to look at Daniel chapter 7, what Joe read for us earlier, though we will mention briefly the last vision of the book, which is in Daniel chapter 12. If you want a full summary of the prophetic uh, visions of the future in Daniel, you're always free to watch the scary religious channel on TV. They talk about it all the time on there. They love the last six chapters of Daniel on there. There's some good stuff in there, but there's some scary stuff too. Or come to my house. I love watching that channel. (laughs) Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a dream of deep religious significance. That's not to say all dreams have deep religious significance. Sometimes it just means you ate too much too late at the Taco Bell. But Daniel is having a dream of deep religious significance significance. And in this dream, he sees beasts, and the beasts are warring with one another. The beasts represent kingdoms of the world, and the kingdoms of the world are warring against one another. And then Daniel sees this, verse 13, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. So is there any reason to have hope in a world at war with itself? Is there any reason to have hope in a world at war with itself? Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's vision says, yes, there is. And the reason for the hope goes something like this. There is a king with a capital K. Daniel calls this the ancient of days. In other words, with one look at this being, Daniel realizes that this being, this person predates time itself. This person is glowing like the sun, is sitting on a throne that is like fire. This is no joke, right? 
And then off to the side, in the middle of this vision, there's this, again, the source of all creation. The one who has predated time is sitting on this fiery throne. And then over off to the side, there comes a person. That's what son of man means. Literally, son of man means a person. And you could have probably figured that out. If you are a man and you have a son, they are a person. Uh, so this person comes over from the side. But it's not any old person. The person is accompanied by the clouds of heaven. So it's a person, but not a person that came from earth, a person that came from heaven. And this person, this son of man from heaven, approaches the ancient of days. Now, Daniel wrote, Daniel didn't know all of what he was seeing. He was terrified by it in some ways, and so he just wrote down what he was seeing. He wrote this down centuries before Jesus was born. We have archaeological evidence to show that this was written down centuries before Jesus was born. Now, you and I have the benefit of like 2,500 extra years. We can kind of figure out some of what Daniel was seeing in this vision as the Ancient of Days was approached by a, a, a divine per, a person, but who was coming from heaven. What we might say today is that what Daniel was seeing was God the Father uh, the creator of everything, interacting with God the Son, who we know as Jesus Christ. In fact, during Jesus' ministry, uh, he often he took the title to himself, Son of Man. Jesus would refer to himself as the Son of Man. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, what's he referring to? Daniel chapter 7. He's saying, you know that like divine person in Daniel chapter 7? That's me. I'm the one who can stand. I'm the person who can stand in the presence of God and not be destroyed. Now, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were not too happy about this. And the reason they were not too happy about this is when Jesus said, I'm the person who can stand in God's presence and not be destroyed, that's blasphemous. Unless it's true. And they weren't open to the idea that it was true, so they assumed it was blasphemous. But Jesus is making a bold claim when he refers to himself as the Son of Man. He's referring to this Old Testament passage that he is the person who came from heaven who can stand in the presence of God and not be destroyed. So verse 14 says that he, that refers to the Son of Man, to Jesus, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And that was the end of that vision. Daniel wrote it down. He was troubled by it, but the, the overarching point was that a world at war with itself would be transformed because God would give authority to a divine human. God would give authority to one who is both human and divine, and that would be the ultimate unraveling of a, war, a w world at war with itself. Unraveling in a good sense. That people from every nation, people of every language, would come to worship this person who is also God. He would establish a kingdom. This kingdom would never be destroyed. He wrote the whole thing down centuries before Jesus was born. The whole point of the dream in Daniel chapter 7 is that the creation, the world in which you and I live, 
is headed in a direction. Do you ever feel like your life is being controlled by like secret backroom meetings that you have no say in? Every time the prices go up at my favorite restaurant, I'm like, oh man, what secret backroom meeting did that happen in? Well, the nice thing of what we learned in Daniel chapter 7 is your life is being sent in a direction, but it was not by a secret backroom meeting. It's from a biblically recorded throne room meeting between God the Father and God the Son saying that creation is headed in a direction. That God the Father looked to Jesus and says, I will give you authority, such authority that your kingdom will never pass away. You will be worshipped by the people of every nation and every language. And even we, we see this in our church family. I mean, we are a, we're in Davidson, North Carolina. It's not exactly a, you know, the most cosmopolitan city in the world. And yet our church family has people who were born on all six of the inhabited continents. The Christian faith is the most international movement of all time. But it predicted that it would be, which is a, a, an interesting thing to think about. So around 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ comes to earth preaching a simple message from the beginning of his ministry. That message is found in Mark 1.15. Jesus taught this. The time has come, he said, Jesus said. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So when Jesus shows up, He does not just say he has come. He says that what has come? The kingdom of God has come. That Jesus came to establish a kingdom, God's kingdom, God's kingdom that has no end. So Jesus comes to earth saying, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What is the good news? That the kingdom of God has come near. That God is not distant. That whatever you are going through today in the midst of it, God is not distant. God is close. In fact, God wants to be so close to you that God came to earth. God lived among us. God died among us. God resurrected among us through Jesus Christ. This world is not all that there is. There is something bigger and better than a world at war with itself. There is something bigger and better than the day in and day out hustle and bustle that we all experience. Our world is headed in a direction. Sometimes we can't see this because we're so in it, but our world is headed in a direction. God is at work. God is doing something. And God is creating a new kingdom. God is creating a new nation. It's not a geographic nation. It's a nation that's made up from people of every nation people who speak every language, people whose skin is of every color, people who see the issues of the day from every perspective, but we are unified by one thing, which is Jesus. We are becoming people of mercy and people of grace because as Christians, we have come with our failures to God and found Him full of mercy and grace. Jesus does not overlook our shortcomings and failures. Jesus forgives them. So you and I are invited to join God's kingdom. As our primary allegiance in the world, as the primary definition of who we are in the world, we are invited to join into God's kingdom. We are invited to believe the good news that God has come near, that Jesus is trustworthy 
and Jesus is worthy of our entire lives. So that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Then at the end of Jesus' ministry, I'm kind of, there's a lot of important stuff in between, but I'm just kind of hitting the bookends today. The end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus says this, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So when you trust your life into Jesus' hands, if you've done that or if you ever do that, when you trust your life into Jesus' hands, in other words, when you become a Christian, is Jesus calling you to a static existence? Is Jesus saying, man, you're in God's kingdom now, take a seat, you know, kick up your feet, here's a lemonade. I bet I, I got a fiddle around here somewhere you can play while Rome burns. Is that what Jesus is calling us to? Well, the answer is, of course, no, if you couldn't tell by the setup. No, the answer is no. Jesus is not calling us to a static existence. Jesus says right there, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus sends his followers to love and serve and care for the people of the world, just like Jesus came to love and serve and care for the people of the world. Jesus is sending his followers. Jesus is sending Christians to be the kingdom, to be God's kingdom in this world, to go and to be a representative for Jesus Christ, and to do that wherever you are, in your home, at school, at work, in your neighborhood, at the homeless shelter, in Bolivia, on vacation, when you go up to the mountains because it gets really nice on a Sunday, wherever you are, be the kingdom. Be a representative for Jesus Christ where you go. Be the outpost of God's kingdom where he's placed you. And not only do we get to be the kingdom, we have opportunities to expand the kingdom, to invite others to experience real, abundant, everlasting life in a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God's eternal family, God's eternal kingdom grows one more person at a time. And at some point you have been or you will be that one more person. But one more person at a time, people change. One person at a time, families change. One person at a time, communities change. One person at a time, entire groups of people change as we repent and believe the good news that God's kingdom has come near in Jesus Christ. So I think the clearest takeaway from the vision of Daniel chapter 7, and maybe all the visions, but the clearest vision of the clearest takeaway of the vision in Daniel chapter 7 is this. Discover who God is and what God is doing. Let that shape who you are and what you are doing. Figure out who God is. Figure out what God is doing. And let that shape who you are and what you are doing. Because when we talk about Missio Dei, when we talk about serving, when we talk about doing good in the world, we can start to think it all depends upon us. Our lives are all about what we need to be doing. But Jesus Christ flips this. The Christian faith flips this and says, no, 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 no. This is not about what you need to be doing. This is first and foremost about who God is and what God is doing. So figure out who God is and what God is doing. And that's the wave. And, and once you see the wave, you can figure out how to position yourself to kind of surf the wave. Kind of a surfing analogy here. 
You, you, you can even body surf the wave, whatever kind of surfing you want to do. Someone asked me this week if I wanted to go body surfing. And I wrote back, have you ever watched a giraffe swim? But, but what you, what you kind of get, the you figure out the wave, and then once you see what the wave is doing, you figure out how to position yourself to ride the wave. The wave is what God is doing in this world. You and I position ourselves secondarily so that we can ride the wave, not fight against the wave. This is not about earning God's love by doing good or fighting for justice or loving others or caring for those in poverty. This is primarily about receiving God's love for you through Jesus Christ and then letting that love transform you. And as that love transforms you, you will do good, and you will fight for justice, and you will love others, and you will care for people in poverty. But the order is what's important. The, the order is, in fact, the heart of the matter, because the order is a matter of the heart. Primarily what God is doing in this world. Secondarily, how you and I will respond to it. Daniel's book concludes with one last vision, and the vision ends this way. A heavenly messenger tells Daniel in chapter 12, as for you, as for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. A lot of good end to books of the Bible. That's one of the best. <laughs> As for you, go your way till the end, you will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. Interesting that the word here is the word inheritance. Do you earn your inheritance or do you receive your inheritance? You receive it. Somebody else did all the hard work and you just get to share in it. And so Dan, the book of Daniel ends by saying what you and I are waiting for as God's people, or if we ever become God's people, we are waiting to share in an inheritance. Not something we earn, not something we deserve, but something we receive through someone else's hard work. So Daniel, the book ends by saying, keep walking on God's path until you come to rest. And at the world's end, you will awaken and you will receive an inheritance, an unimaginable inheritance, Jesus' inheritance. So you and I are invited to be powered by Jesus' love. We're invited to be rescued through Jesus' sacrifice. We're invited to help establish Jesus' kingdom. But most of all, we are invited to rejoice eternally, sharing in Jesus' inheritance. So the question I want to leave with us today is simply this, how will you join in the work that God is doing in this world? How will you join in the work that God is doing in this world? And, and let's just sort of be honest, the, the way we most often join the work God is doing in this world is where we've already been put. It's in our homes, it's in our neighborhoods, it's in our work or our office, it's at our school, it's the people we, we interact with day in and day out. But beginning to look differently at those interactions, look differently at where we've been placed, and to realize I'm not just like some random dude or lady here in this environment, 
Like, God has put me here. I have the opportunity to be the kingdom here, to be a representative for Jesus here. And when you start to think about it that way, our church family has reaches into all kinds of places where, where we, we just don't come together to get inspired. Then we go out and we get to be the kingdom in all kinds of places. To be a representative for Jesus to love, to care for, to serve the people of the world. And you get to love and care and serve people who, who will never uh, come into my sphere and may never want to come here and listen to one of these little sermons we th- throw together. That's, but it'll be okay because you get to be the kingdom to them. You get to be the representative of Jesus to them. But what Kevin was talking about earlier is sometimes it's a really good thing to get ourselves out of the world that we know as kind of like a a shock experience, an experience that kind of shocks us into seeing God's work differently. And this is why our church serves every month at the Ada Jenkins Food Pantry, while we serve dinners every month to people at the Charlotte Rescue Mission, why we're going to send a team to Bolivia this summer, a mission team to Bolivia, try to send 15, 20 people, and try to send 15 to 20 people to the Bahamas. You may or may not know, most kids in the Bahamas, I think 80% grew up in a single-parent household, but there's almost no um, youth ministries throughout the Bahamas. That's hard for us to think about because here we, like, compare youth ministries. Well, that one had that, and I got this. It's like there's none. So we've partnered with a a group that does that, that cares for the youth of uh, different islands in the Bahamas. We hope to send people there. We partner with Access to Success that does mission trips to Nigeria, and we've had folks do those too. These are like, in a good way, shock experiences where you get out of the world that you know and, and you listen to God in a different way, and sometimes you then return to life as you know it, more attuned to who God is and what God is doing with a little better sense of how you interact with your day-to-day. So I'd love for you to learn more about any of those that are interesting to you. I'm sure uh, Gray, uh, you could always reach out to him or reach out to anyone on the staff, and we would point you in the right direction. But the point of the whole thing is, what does it look like to see your life differently? Not just like a way to take up time between now and, and some event in the future, you're, you're uh, passing away, how, how, how do we really live before we get there? Which brings me back to Senior Sanchez. So the next year, we sent a group to uh, this same spot in Mexico, and I was real excited for them, except for one thing. They built their house two miles from where we built our house. And so I was bummed they didn't get to meet Senior Sanchez. So I was telling them how bummed I was that they didn't get to meet Senior Sanchez. And they looked at me a little bit funny and said, we met a man named Senior Sanchez. And I sort of described him, and yeah, it was the same dude. So apparently what had happened, he had learned that we had another group there building another house. And so at the tender age of 76, he had walked two miles in 110-degree heat to help them put the roof on the house. The man ran on a different fuel. See if that's the, uh, yeah, you see the senior there? Those roof tiles are heavy and hot, and it is 110 degrees. The dude ran on a different fuel because he knew God, and so he, he looked at his life differently. 
Now, that was a decade ago. His town has been overrun by violence. I don't have any idea if the senior is still alive or not on this earth. But I do look forward to introducing all of you to him one day when we see the completion of these words. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. Good news from the book of Daniel. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God about whatever He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. Just talk to God. Lord, I thank you that you are active in this world. You are doing something. And that you are calling us to lives of great purpose. And purpose not so that you will love us, but purpose that's birthed out of the fact that you do love us. Lord, I thank you for all the wonderful uh, ministries and nonprofits here in our area throughout the world, the missionaries who, who do your work of caring for people day in and day out. And I pray that you would move in our hearts and our souls to support their work and, and to join into their work. And Lord, I thank you for the places you've placed us. The neighborhoods, the jobs, the ways we serve in this community. I thank you for the, way, the places you have placed us. And I pray that we would see these things as a great opportunity to love and serve and care for the people of this world in Jesus' name. I pray we would do that. Lord, we ask you for the strength that we need because we will run out of our own strength. We ask you for the kindness and the patience that we need because we will run out of that too. So, Lord, we lift these things to you. We lift our lives up to you and ask that you would let us get caught up in the wave of what you're doing. Lord, I pray for those of us here today who have been fighting against you, fighting against what you're doing in our lives, fighting against the desire to join your family, your kingdom. 
I pray today so we would quit fighting. And we would learn to enjoy the ride. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.